Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined by our still resident, still theologian in training, still, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how that, you doing? That was a lot of stills, uh, but maybe in like six years. No, no rush. No we'll, rush. Uh, I know you're working on it. I'm very slowly working on it. Been working on it a lot this past week, actually. Yeah, a lot papers of and tests theological and thinking going on. Good, <laughs> good. Uh, it's it's everywhere, and uh, yeah, I'm glad you're uh, glad you're doing it. But you're still, I mean, you're still still. That's still 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 still. But that's all right. If you want to trace, uh, you you want to follow uh, Spencer's growing out of in training to. I don't know, full-blown? What would we call you? I wouldn't even know what to call you. Just resident theologian? I don't know. I don't know. But but I do feel like like once you have a... Like a... Uh, a, a doctorate degree in... Something relating to theology that... You've got to... We're, we're going to have to upgrade the name from... Resident theologian in training. I, I'm not quite sure... What? I'm just going to call you Mr. Theology. So. That's it. I'm joined Good. by my co-host, Mr. Theology. Just call me Doctor. Doctor Mr. Theology. That's a weird name. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, we have several episodes now. I don't... Uh, let's see. 16? This is episode 16? This is episode 16. I, I've kind of found that hard to believe when I was yeah. numbering it. Episode 16, you're listening to now, and so we have plenty of other episodes for you to go check out anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, this is also episode four uh, within the, the four-part series that we're doing here on uh, modern-day idolatry, uh, looking at uh, what we worship uh, and uh, whether we're expanding certain things past their, their proper bounds uh, or keeping them in their right place. Today we're going to talk about uh, God or baptism, and uh, I think that'll be a good discussion. Uh, we've had uh, some on worship, we've had some on uh, Bible, and then we had a third one in there that I can't remember, so it's a mystery. <laughs> Church. <laughs> Church. It, that was the first one. Church, <laughs> it was the first one. It was worship, too long ago. Bible. Too long ago. <laughs> this was supposed to be a four-part series, but it's now five. Um, yes. And I want to mention for all of our listeners that it wasn't me that decided to make this five. It was Jack. Yeah, I had an idea. Uh, Jack <laughs> had an idea after our last one, and I—I I mean, I really liked it. Great idea. Um, so we'll have a—we'll keep that a mystery, though. But th- there will be a part. Uh, what are we on? Four. So part there'll five. be a part five. Yeah. Uh, in two weeks. And hopefully. we could have more parts if you have any ideas about this particular series or just any topics you'd like for us to discuss, you can email that to us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, you can also message us uh, personally on Facebook if you would like, uh, or comment if the platforms where you listen to these things allow you to do so, and we'll we'll check those things out. Uh, and you can still get to Spencer on Twitter as well, and I'm sure he'd appreciate the follow uh, as well. I would. As the question. I would. All right, Spencer, we're talking about baptism today, uh, a discussion like all of these other ones uh, that we're going to be sure to navigate carefully. Um, and I, I know you'll say it here in a, in a moment, but this is, not a, this is not an episode about 
uh, we shouldn't hold it in high esteem. None of them have been. Uh, it's where where is too far? How far is too far uh, that we make baptism an idol? So I, I think it'll be a good discussion. Spencer, where do you want to begin uh, on this discussion about God or or baptism? Yeah, so, you know, kind of what you said, baptism especially, but really all of our topics are kind of delicate things to talk about because they're extremely important, but we want to make sure that we've we've got them in the right place and that we make sure to remember what their ultimate purpose is because a lot of the times when we kind of make idols out of these things, we forget what they're here for, what their purpose is. And so we want to make sure that we have them in the right place. I, uh, here at the uh, church that I'm at, I mention all the time, uh, I use, I like the illustration of a TV and the function the TV is supposed to have. And so, you know, a TV has all kinds of parts, but if you put the parts in the right place, the TV is not going to work. There's a specific place for them to be. Sure. And I think that's kind of the same thing with the stuff that we're talking about. There's a we have to make sure that they're they're in the right place. Uh, we're not uh, idolizing them. We're remembering what their purpose is, while still understanding their importance. Again, with the TV, you take a part out, the TV's not going to work, right? The the part's important. It's essential to the TV working, but it's got to be in the right place. And I think that's kind of a way to think about all of what we've been doing in the series, baptism included. And baptism, like all of our other topics, is something that we in Churches of Christ, rightly so, hold in high regard. And I think the reason that we hold baptism in high regard is primarily because of our recognition that baptism is for the remission of sins. And you see that Acts 2.38, we see that specifically, but we also see the connection to forgiveness of sins, freedom from sin. In Romans 6, uses the language of being freed from sin. We mm-hmm. uh, 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you, so you have salvation being tied in some way to baptism there in that text. Paul, in both Ephesians and Colossians, has statements about uh, washing of, of regeneration and putting off old self of sin and putting on a new self in Christ associated with baptismal type of language. So particularly in Paul, as well as we saw in Peter, when but when Paul talks about baptism, there's always a connection to uh, salvation, to freedom from sin, to forgiveness of sin, to putting off an old self of sin. And so because we make that connection, we believe that baptism by immersion is an essential action for the believer because it's connected to remission or forgiveness of sins. And like we've done in all of these episodes, as we started out, we want to make sure that we're affirming that, that everyone listening knows that we believe that, we're not diminishing that, we're not diminishing the importance, the significance of baptism or baptism's connection to forgiveness of sins or being put into Christ or any of those things. But what we're trying to do like with all of our other topics, is recognize that our recognition of the importance of baptism can at times be pushed to an extreme, that we become so focused on how important baptism is because of its connection to salvation and forgiveness of sins that we 
can forget about the God who stands behind baptism, which has kind of been the case for all of these things, that they're all God things, and sometimes we can get so focused on the actions themselves that we can forget about God. Yeah, it's the um, reducing things down into a a checklist sort of issue that uh, which that that idea runs through all of the things that we've discussed of this is what I'm supposed to do in worship without missing or while missing uh, the object of worship, uh, the transforming nature nature of the worship. Uh, we might get bogged down as we discussed uh, in the. Uh, the bibliolatry, which I believe was the previous series we did. I believe we just did that one. Yes. Um, where we might get caught up in the uh, structure and process of study uh, in order to gain knowledge, but then not do anything with it. We're, we're checking all of the right boxes that we are supposed to check, uh, but missing all, all of the importance, the, the why of everything there. Uh, and that, that's very much something that happens uh, with baptism as well. Uh, and we'll talk, I think, very specifically here uh, about some of the symptoms of worshiping baptism, what that actually looks like uh, when we forget uh, the God that stands behind baptism and what baptism's purpose is with all of this. Uh, I believe we have uh, four symptoms here. Spencer, do you want to run through uh, what those symptoms are uh, of yeah. worshiping baptism? Yeah, so the the first symptom of worshiping baptism is that we can tend to teach people about baptism before we teach people about Jesus. And specifically, we're thinking here about evangelism, that when we're evangelizing, teaching someone the gospel for the, the first time, so, sometimes we're tempted to start by saying, well, you need to be baptized. And that's maybe the first thing out of our mouths. Uh rather than talking about Jesus, which is important because baptism only gains its significance because of Jesus. There's no point in being baptized. Baptism does nothing more than get a person wet if it wasn't for Jesus, right? right. Uh, think of, we're going to talk about Romans 6 here in a moment, but there Paul talks about how baptism is reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that baptism frees us from sin and puts us into Christ, and so baptism doesn't make any sense without Jesus. I did a lesson a few weeks back about evangelism, and I, I made this point uh, pretty heavily that when we evangelize, we have to start with Jesus, and that at times we want to start in all kinds of other places with the existence of God, the validity of the Bible, you know, those apologetics arguments, or like I said, we begin with telling people that they need to be baptized. And I said, none of those places are the right places to start. We'll probably get to those different things at some point along the line when we're talking or studying with someone, but you have to start with Jesus because none of those other things make any sense if it wasn't for Jesus. The story of Jesus gives meaning to baptism. And so we have to start with Jesus and then we can move to baptism. And when we do that, baptism is going to make more sense. I think of the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Philip preached Jesus to the eunuch, and then the eunuch asks to be baptized. When Jesus is correctly taught, baptism makes sense. It should create in someone that desire to be baptized, because through telling the story of Jesus, you begin to then see and understand the significance 
a baptism that mm. comes as we tell the story, but not before we tell the story. Again, because that's where baptism gains its significance. But once someone gets baptized, kind of a second symptom is that we can tend to believe that once we're baptized, we're kind of done. It doesn't matter a whole lot what we do uh, in our lives from that point forward. Uh, We can kind of live and do whatever we want because we've been baptized. We've been baptized. We've had our sins forgiven, so I can go on and do whatever I want. But as we're going to talk about here in a moment, baptism is meant to produce a change in the life of the one who's baptized. Like everything we've talked about in the series, it's to produce— you want to use the word transform? Transformation. (laughs) Yes. You're— Someone needs to go back and listen to all these and count the number of times yeah, I've said <laughs> transform or transformation or something like that. It's a key word for me. But that's what baptism is meant to do. And so when mm-hmm. you're baptized, you're not done. Baptism, as we like to say, is kind of the beginning point. But as individuals, sometimes we can think, well, I'm baptized, so I kind of have some freedom to live however I want. What's interesting, Romans 6 again, Paul says that we're free from slavery to sin to become slaves to righteousness. It's a freedom from one slavery to another slavery. Mm-hmm. But this is not the same kind of slavery. Slavery to righteousness uh, is a completely different. It does come with freedom. Paul says in uh, Galatians, for freedom, Christ has set you free. But it's not freedom to do whatever we want. It's freedom to live for Christ, uh, to live for other people rather than for ourselves. And kind of connected with both of these ideas. Again, these kind of have to go with how we evangelize as a church. How are we teaching other people? How are we approaching people once they are baptized? And so because of this, our evangelism efforts, number three, can tend to be more focused on just getting people in the water, getting them baptized, instead of making disciples. We try to get as many people baptized as we can, and then we just kind of leave them uh, to figure this Christianity thing out on their own. And there can tend to be very little, if any, discipling done before or even after baptism. It's we, we teach them before only for the purpose of getting them in the water, and then once we get them out of the water, we're kind of done with them and we move on to the next person. And... That's how you get people to slip back into their old way. That's how you get people to leave the the church because they're not adequately grounded in Christian faith, not grounded in Scripture, not grounded in the church community because all we were focused on is, well, we just have to get them baptized because when you're baptized, your sins are forgiven, so we just have to get them baptized. And once we've done that, we as a church are done. Again, that doesn't fit with the transforming aspect of baptism and how that transformation is to take place within the context of the church community. It's interesting, when you go back and read church history, that early on in the church, I mean, we're we're talking beginning in like the second century, that a catechism was a significant part of the work of the church. And catechism, when you hear that, you may think that that's just a Catholic word, but it's uh, in essence means teaching. But you'd have people that would go through like a year's worth of teaching before they would be baptized. And then you had teaching, you had classes, you had things they had to go through after they were baptized. 
And the purpose was to root them in Scripture, to root them in a strong faith, to get them to understand the commitment that they were making by being baptized, and to root them within the church community. It was to make them a follower of Jesus, not just a baptized person, right? Because you can throw someone in the water and not actually make them a follower of, of Jesus, Right. which is why teaching was so important early on in the church. And I think we've lost some of that uh, because we emphasize the the high significance of baptism so much, which is a good thing, right? Going back to what we said at the beginning, we believe that, but we do it in, in such a way that we just try to get people baptized and aren't actually making followers of Jesus. And the last point that I want to make is that we can tend to emphasize baptism so much that baptism ends up looking like a work that earns a person salvation. That's probably something that maybe you've you've heard before or been accused of before. Yeah, big uh, people like normally like to criticize and accuse the Church of Christ of making baptism into a work, and sometimes that is unwarranted. But I think a lot of the times it's absolutely warranted because. Not that we believe baptism is a work, but we talk about it in such a way that that's the way it sounds, right? When when we want to start with baptism and focus on just getting people baptized, it doesn't matter how you live afterwards or not very much teaching or discipling going on. The way we come off is, well, you just have to be baptized so that you can be saved. And I want you to notice in a statement like that, that the word God or Jesus never shows up. And when that's our approach, well, you have to be baptized so you can be saved. It's all about you. And do you need to be baptized? Yes. But we need to say that again in the context of Jesus and the context of God and faith and the church and discipleship and a transformed life, not just the beginning and end being, well, you need to be baptized so you can be saved. Um, it makes sense why that sounds like that it's just a work that you need to do to save yourself, which that mindset leads to some of the other things that we've talked about, uh, some of the other problems, and reflects negatively on other people. Uh, Or we reflect ourselves negatively towards other people when we talk about it with that kind of language. There's... uh, There's... Uh, there, there was a quote I was told when I was uh, doing one of my internships that um, we have to be careful in evangelism that we're converting to Jesus and not converting to baptism, which is uh, what you've uh, described here. Uh, and one of the one of the examples kind of held up in that is the in, during the times, uh, even in, in recent years, uh, and I remember this growing up, uh, where we would have. Uh, gospel meetings or uh, campaigns and stuff where we'd get people to the building. There would be this multiple nights of teaching and things like that. Uh, you might end up with several baptisms. Uh, let's say there's you know 20 people baptized and the church is excited about it. You know, great. Here here it goes is awesome. But then you come back a year later and maybe one of those is still there. And that's that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, and Maybe these things that we're talking about here, uh, you're hearing them and going, well, that doesn't apply to me, that doesn't apply to... It applies to many, uh, and I'll say most, uh, churches and uh, even ministers, leadership, all of that. 
because we want to see growth, we read Acts 2, which we referenced earlier, talking about baptism and its purpose, and seeing you know, 3,000 at one time. And why, why can't we, why can't that happen today? You know, what's preventing? Well, we have to remember, and this is all stuff Spencer said, just in a bit of a different way. Uh, all of those people had some working knowledge of, well, more than a working knowledge of scripture. And so the connection to Jesus was very simple. Uh, that when they were being taught all of these things about Jesus and in the case of Acts 2, his resurrection and all of this, uh, they stopped Peter and said, what do we do? Uh, But they weren't, Peter was not building towards this is what you're doing today. He was preaching to them about who Jesus was. And just like the Ethiopian eunuch, they say, okay, what what do we do then? He's Lord, what do we do? Uh, and they get their response. And I think part of this is, maybe this goes with this lesson, maybe this should be a part six. (laughs) Why not? Uh, Of our, uh, how we view evangelism uh, as a a process, uh, by which I mean, we don't really view it as a process. It's a, we got to get them now because we don't know when the Lord's coming back, when it's really more of a take, we got to take time, we got to get people to understand the decision they're making, uh, what the purpose of it is, the change that should occur, the transformation that should occur uh, from uh, this this event. Uh, and we have trouble with that because it takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, and a lot more work uh, than just getting people in the water. But as you said, Spencer, and, and we're about to talk about the purpose here, uh, if we get them in the water but they don't understand, uh, then we've just gotten them wet because Jesus is the purpose uh, of baptism. Uh, We mentioned Romans 6 a little while ago, uh, and I think we're going to break Romans 6 down, um, and maybe a little more as well, uh, in discovering uh, and laying out the purpose of baptism. Spencer, you ready to break down Romans 6? Yeah, and before we do, I want to say I liked what you said about how we we really all have the tendency to— uh, emphasize baptism in such a way where we fall victim to one of these things that we talked about, one of these symptoms. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's true for all of us. Uh, just your average member to your church leadership, to your your preacher, we all have that tendency because, you know, I, I'm thinking from a preaching perspective, maybe depending on what we're preaching, well, we want to make sure we talk about baptism, which is a good thing, but we focus in so much on making sure that we talk about that that we misconstrue everything else and it gets kind of put in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mentioned this this past Sunday, which was Easter talking about the resurrection. And I said, we, we tend, and this is true for uh, Christianity in the entire Western part of the world to emphasize the cross in such a way that we forget what happened three days later. We forget about the resurrection, which is actually the opposite in the Eastern part of the world. Um, but we, <clears throat> and I said that, you know, that's a temptation for all of us to talk, focus in so much on the cross that we forget to ever get to the resurrection. And it's not that it's bad to talk about the cross, but we have to remember that the cross gains its significance because Jesus walked out of the tomb uh, on Sunday. And you can do the opposite too. And we all kind of have the tendency to want to go in one direction or the other. 
with that, same thing with, with baptism. We kind of all have that tendency. And so it's just important to recognize that we have that tendency to try to keep from uh, overemphasizing or emphasizing in such a way that we forget kind of the bigger picture. I, I um, think it all comes from a place of goodness as well, especially with, with baptism of we, we want to see people freed. We want to see people uh, moved away from sin, but that might cause an overemphasis, uh, as you've said, on it all the comes wrong from, thing. It all comes from good intentions. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but as but how you do we, said, how do we get this theologically right? Yeah, the when we think of like a theology of baptism, which is what we're we're trying to to do to kind of help us better think about baptism, better put baptism in its right place, emphasize baptism in the right way. To me, the best place to go is is Romans chapter six. I think that's the most developed theology of baptism that we have in the New Testament. I'm also a little biased to Romans 6 because I've written now uh, two, like, 40-page exegetical papers <laughs> on Romans chapter 6. I've taught Romans chapter 6 in a Bible class uh, twice now. I've done quite a bit of other stuff with Romans chapter 6. So I've spent a lot of time in Romans chapter 6, so it's also my go-to just because I— know it like the back of my hand. But what what's interesting about Romans 6 is first off that Paul describes the the purpose of baptism there in Romans 6 as a freedom from slavery to sin. That when we're baptized we are freed from a slavery that we had in the kingdom of sin and we're going to talk about that in more detail. Here in just a moment, but I say that because that's where you get the connection in Romans chapter six to passages like Acts two thirty eight and the forgiveness of sins being connected to baptism. The language that Paul uses to say that, though, in Romans six is freedom from slavery to sin. And I wanted to start with that before we really jump in and kind of move through that text because we have to remember that baptism points us to God. And that's we've said that with everything that we've talked about. Because if we truly believe that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, then we have to recognize that God, through the work of Jesus, is the only one who can forgive sins. We can't forgive our own sins. Nobody else can forgive our sins. Water in and of itself can't wash away our sins. Only God, through the work of Jesus can forgive our sins. And I say that because the place you have to start with baptism is a recognition that God's the one uh, doing the action in baptism. When we make the decision to be baptized, we're making a decision to submit to God and to allow God, through the work of Jesus, to forgive our sins. We're not the primary one acting other than making the decision to let somebody else baptize us, right? We're not doing anything other than making the decision. We're, we don't baptize ourselves. Someone else does. We don't forgive our sins. God does. And so we're the passive agent in baptism, allowing someone else to dunk us into the water and bring us back out and submitting to God, uh, and God forgives our sins. And that's the place we have to start. 
is recognizing that God's the one forgiving the sins, that it's mm-hmm. not by our own power that we're doing this. It's God doing this when we make the decision to be baptized. And so when that happens, when we gain that freedom from slavery to sin, we're given a new life, we're transformed, use that word again, and so we need to live like it. What's interesting is that Romans chapter 6 is not about baptism. It's about ethics. It's about the way a Christian ought to live. But Paul addresses a question of ethics, a question of how Christians should live, by appealing to the Christians in Rome's baptism. And that's important because a lot of times we go to Romans 6 to talk about baptism, and that's not what Paul's doing. Baptism comes in the context of, in this larger context, of ethics. So when you go back to the second half of Romans chapter 5, Paul begins to personify sin. Sin becomes a bigger character than just the times that you or I miss the mark. That tends to be how we like to define sin. Sin is when someone misses the mark. But beginning in Romans chapter 5, sin is personified. It becomes a active character on the world stage. It becomes bigger than just those times that you or I miss the mark. And so Paul in chapter 5 describes sin as a king that has been allowed to enter into the world because of the sin of Adam. And when sin is this king came into the world, it set up its kingdom in the world, and that kingdom spread to all people. Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So sin as this king, as this active force in the world that set up a kingdom and spread this kingdom throughout the entire world. And everyone, every human being, because we all sin, we have all been taken as slaves in the kingdom of sin. And the biggest result of that slavery is death. Paul says there in chapter 5 that death entered into the world when sin entered into the world. The idea that when sin as a king entered in, death came in on sin's coattails, if you will. And Paul says all die because all sin. And so that's, among other things, are the consequence of being a slave to sin. But Paul ends Romans chapter 5 by saying that in the same way that sin through Adam was allowed to enter into the world, set up this kingdom and spread it to all people, that through one man, Jesus, salvation from sin can be found. And so Romans chapter 5 ends with Paul saying, where sin abounds, the grace of God in Jesus superabounds. And the idea there is no matter how much you sin, no matter what you do, how, no matter how big your pile of sin gets, the pile of God's grace is always going to be bigger. That God's grace in Jesus is able to cover up any and all of our sins, no matter what they are, and no matter how big they are. Hmm. Which leads to the question, if that's true, does that mean I can continue to sin? If the more I sin, the more grace I get, does that mean that I can continue to sin? Because I'm just going to get more grace from God to cover up that sin. Uh, Another question that could be raised is, well, isn't having more grace always a good thing? Isn't it good to have more grace? So shouldn't I continue to sin so I get more of God's grace? And that's 
it's on the heels of that possible objection that Romans chapter 6 opens up where Paul says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he's asking that question is, should we continue to sin so that we get more grace? And Paul's answer to that is no, because you have been baptized. And that's where baptism comes into the uh, into the equation. And the language that Paul uses there in the first 11 verses of Romans 6 to talk about baptism is kin group language. In the first century, a person's identity was based upon the kin group or the family group, if you will, that you were a part of. It was a communal society, not an individualistic society like we have today. So today, we find our identity in who I am as an individual. And so when someone asks you who you are, I give them characteristics about myself. This is my name. This is my job. This is my family. This is what I do. This is what I like. This is what I'm skilled at. My identity is in me. But in the first century, your identity was a part of the family that you were a part of. And that's where your social identity was. And so there wasn't much room in the first century to move up or down on the social totem pole. You were kind of born into a family, and that's where your identity was. And so if you were kicked out of your family for one reason or another, you no longer had an identity, which is weird for us to think about, that it's almost like you're not a person if you're not connected to some kind of family, some kind of kin group. But that's the way a communal society works. And so that's where your identity is tied. And it's that language that Paul uses to talk about sin and to talk about Jesus in the context of baptism. And so the point that he's making is before you were baptized, you were a part of the kin group of sin. You were a slave in the family of sin, a slave in the kingdom of sin. And so that's where your identity was. You're ident- you were identified by sin. And an identity in sin is an identity in death both physical and spiritual death. Paul says that's where your identity was. But when you were baptized, and through your baptism, when you reenacted Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you changed your I you changed kin groups. You were freed from that slavery in the kingdom of sin to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And in doing that, no longer are you part of the kin group of sin, but you're now a part of the kin group of God, the kin group of Christ. And so that's where you now find your identity. Your identity is no longer in sin. It's now in Christ. And Paul's point there is, so therefore live like it. You can't continue to live as if you're still a slave to sin. You cannot continue to live as if your identity is still found in sin because when you were baptized, you changed your citizenship. You gave up your citizenship in the kingdom of sin to immigrate, if you will, and become a citizen in the kingdom of God, and that's where you find your identity. And if that's where you find your identity, that's the way you must live, right? Because we live based upon how we see ourselves. Who we understand ourselves to be impacts the way that we live. And so Paul says, recognize that when you were baptized, you are in Christ. That's where your identity is. That's You now recognize yourself as a citizen in the kingdom of God. And so that's the way you must live. And that's tied very much to Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Paul says that we unite ourselves with Christ's death when we're baptized, kind of that reenactment of Jesus' death and burial there. And so uh, that word unite is plant terminology. It's the idea of things growing together. And so it gives us the image of like two tree roots that begin to intertwine and grow together and to become one root. And so what Paul's saying there is that when we're baptized into Christ, we grow together and become one with Christ. And so what's true of Christ then becomes true for us. And so when we unite ourselves to his death, in the same way that Christ died to sin, we die to sin. We, we, that old person that was a slave in the kingdom of sin dies. And when we do that, we also unite ourselves with Jesus' resurrection. We're given a new life in the kingdom of God a new life that's now no longer identified by sin and death, but by God and by righteousness. And so Paul says, that's the way you are to live. And that's where in the second half of Romans 6, we get the description of you're no longer a slave to sin, but you're a slave to righteousness. In other words, everybody has a master. We all serve something. But Paul says, those who have been baptized no longer serve sin, but you serve righteousness. You serve God. And so that's the way that you are to live, part of that resurrection life, part of life in the kingdom of of sin. And so that's the way that Paul describes baptism, which ought to, when we understand that theology of baptism, attack those symptoms of worshiping baptism, right? When we understand baptism in that way, we have to start with Jesus because baptism is a reenactment of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Baptism is us being put into the kin group of Christ. Baptism is us uniting ourselves with Jesus' death and resurrection. So you only understand baptism by starting with Jesus. You can't start with baptism and then move to Jesus. you got to start with Jesus and move to baptism. It attacks that idea that once we're baptized, we're done. Because Paul's entire point there is now that you're baptized, you need to live this new life. This new life reminiscent of Christ's resurrection life, a life freed from sin, a life in the kingdom of God, a life that's a slave to righteousness. That that ought to attack our approach in evangelism that all we're trying to do is get people into the, the water because what's happening in the water through the work of God is a transformation in identity. And then we need to go live based upon this new identity. But when you come up out of the water, God doesn't just Put the information in your mind about how to now start living as a slave to righteousness. That's something that we're all still learning. That's something that we're all still growing to. And we do that in the context of the community. The community of God's people gives us the context in which to understand what it means to be a part of the people of God. It gives us the context in which to learn and to grow as the people of God. It gives us the context to be held accountable to this new life as a part of the people of God. And so you can't live this new life outside of the context of the the church. We as the church have to nurture this new life. I don't remember who said it, but someone in church history said that the Christian life is just living out your baptism. It's Mm. living out the implication of one's baptism. And that's really what it is. We're baptized, we gain this new life, and we live out the implications of that. And the church has to be there to help us. And then it it attacks that idea of speaking of baptism in a way that can come across as, well, you're saving yourself. Because when we understand 
that baptism is putting us into Christ, that God is the only one who can forgive sins. We talk about baptism in the context of what Jesus has done, what God has done in Jesus on our behalf and how we take part in that through baptism. Baptism is a way God has extended grace to all human beings in Jesus. And we respond to that grace in obedience. And part of that is our baptism to, we talked about this in grace versus works. You can go back and listen to that. It's a way of living within God's grace that he's already offered to us in order mm. to benefit from it. We, we are in baptism. We're responding to something that God has already done. We're not saving ourselves through it. We're responding to what God has already done. Uh, we're taking part in what God has already done. We, we're receiving the salvation that has already been offered in Jesus. That, that's what we're doing in baptism. It, it's, it's God's done the work. God's imparting that work upon us when we're baptized. But again, it's not us doing the work. Despite the fact, again, we want to affirm that in baptism, we're forgiven of our sins. In baptism, we are put into Christ. But through that act, it's God who's doing it, not ourselves. Yeah, on the the heels of Easter Sunday, this episode's coming out. Uh, everybody thinking about the resurrection, being uh, at least uh, very aware of it on that day. Uh, I want to encourage us to continue to be very aware uh, of the resurrection, as we said there, because that's where Paul goes. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, uh, we too might walk in in newness of life through this baptism uh, at this beginning point now yeah. in the kingdom of Jesus to live like him uh, and to bear his image I, uh, to others. I I preached Romans 6 on Sunday for Easter, so. I didn't, um, but maybe I will next year. <laughs> I uh, love Romans 6. Spent too much time in it. I need to go to another chapter of the Bible. But Maybe we'll, maybe we'll spend a, a podcast or two or three or five on uh, Romans 6 one of these days as well. Uh, if you have any suggestions for episodes for us to cover, uh, we'd love to hear them. Email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Get in touch with us on Facebook uh, and uh, send us your thoughts on those things. We'd love to hear from you, what you think, what you'd like for us to talk about. And we'll take comments and criticisms as well if you've got them. Part five is coming here in a couple weeks. That may be the last one. We'll we'll see how it goes, but I hope you are enjoying listening to these things, and I hope that uh, as you leave these episodes, you go and uh, having learned a little bit more about how to think theologically, that you uh, begin to do those things, practice those things uh, more and more in your daily walk with God. I'm Jack, and that's Spencer. We'll see you next time.